to uh, tell you how I became a Christian in Iraq. I was born in Nineveh. My home was 10 miles from the grave of Jonah. I'm going to show you some pictures about Iraq. Uh, first slide. Uh, here is uh, the map of Iraq, and in the north is Mosul. Mosul is where Nineveh is, uh, and the Assyrian people who lived in Nineveh are the people who many times had interaction with the two kingdoms uh, of Israel and Judah. In fact, they were the people in 720 BC destroyed the northern kingdom. Uh, go back again to the first one, please. Iraq is very rich in Bible references. In fact, you see the word Nasriya? That's where Abraham came from. That's the Ur of the Chaldanian or Chaldanian. That's where they invented writing, and that's where they put the first laws outside of the Bible. King Hammurabi came from that area. And in the middle where Baghdad is, that's the capital, if you go about 65 miles to the west, that's where Babylon was. Uh, you have all of these references. Next slide. The name Nineveh is still lives on. And you could see it uh, underneath the word al-Musul, Nineveh. That's the Arabic way of saying Nineveh. The whole state is called the state of Nineveh. And the place where the old city uh, still is and the new city, Mosul, are called the district of Nineveh. Next slide. This is uh, one of the first recorded writing in history, and it was invented in the southern part of Iraq. Next slide. This is a map of the whole area to give you some kind of context. Next. This is the entrance to the city of Babylon. Next. This is the gate of Ashtar. Ashtar was one of the Babylonian goddesses. However, this one is a fake one. The original one is in the museum in Berlin. But this is a replica that is in Iraq. Next. Just gives you an idea when you have a closer look at it. Next. These are the walls of the city of Nineveh. Those walls are 2,600 years old, and they are still standing. I think uh, the temperature over there does help with that. Not a lot of humidity. Next. Um, more pictures of the wall. Uh, several gates leading into the city. Next. Next. Uh, this is one of the museums at the city. Next. This is Nineveh, the way it looked like at the time of Jonah. You had romantic rites on the Tigris River. Next. This is Ashur Panipal. He was one of the Assyrian kings. Several Assyrian kings are mentioned in the Old Testament, but this one is not. Uh, his contribution to the world 
is the library system. He was a lover of poetry. So he collected 20,000 tablets. And that was the first library. The Tigers is quite a ways from, like several kilometers from the city of Nineveh. So they had to dig canals. So that was the first time they came up with the idea of canals. Next. All of this was destroyed by ISIS about five years ago. None of that stuff was left. The entire collection in all of the museums were completely destroyed. Next. Joppa is where Jonah came from. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. You could see the direction he was supposed to go. Next. He ended up going exactly the opposite direction. But God found him and sent him back to Nineveh. You can't hide from God. Next. This is the grave of Jonah. Uh, it was an Orthodox church. It became a mosque. So they built that minaret. Next slide. Uh, this is a more recent picture of the grave of Jonah. But unfortunately, next slide, it was destroyed by ISIS. It was completely taken down. Next slide. In Iraq, there is 40 million people today. About 400,000 Christian. That's just about 1%. They are about 60% Catholic and 40% Orthodox. And this is an Orthodox church in Baghdad. You could tell it's an Orthodox church from the shape of the cross. Next slide. And this is the Seventh-day Adventist church in Iraq. We only have one church in Iraq. This is it. Next slide. The church was uh, bombed several times. So now they have the deacons protecting it. And you thought being a deacon was a hard job. Imagine being a deacon in Iraq. I am not kidding you. The people from the outside are soldiers from the government assigned to the church, but the people from the inside are deacons who patrol the church and report to the authority. The story I'm going to share with you this morning started to unfold more than 40 years ago. It didn't happen in Nineveh. It happened in Baghdad. My father was a businessman who owned a bunch of grocery stores, and he wanted to expand his businesses, so he moved the family to Baghdad. And uh, one day, my cousin and I, we decided to explore the city of Baghdad. It was new to us. And by divine appointment, we ended up being at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was uh, beaten almost to death as a result of my encounter with Jesus. I lost two years of schooling and a scholarship that covered four years. That was more than 40 years ago, but about... Fifteen years ago, I discovered I am alive today because of that experience. And then I started to see wonderful blessings that God um, just gave me unexpectedly 
One of them just happened last year. The theme of what I'm going to share with you is that when we trust in Jesus, He will make all things to work for good for us. That's the kind of God we have. I, I see a lot of young people. I counted the people who came to the front here. There were six, 36 of them. So if you are below 15, please raise your hand. If you are below 15, see a lot of them. So I'm going to ask you two questions. And if you get the correct answer only today, and only upon the approval of your mom and dad, you could eat two pieces of dessert at lunch. <laughs> if you are more than 15 years old, you do not qualify for this. So don't come to me and don't even attempt to eat two pieces, just one. Here are the two questions. Question number one, why it is so difficult to be a Christian in the Middle East? Why it's so difficult to be a Christian in the Middle East? So you have to listen to the story and you will find the answer. And the second question is, what happened to my mother? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I, I just pray that as I tell the story and as we see how you work in the life of one individual, that's really the way you work in all of our lives. And at the end, we will all stand in awe and amazement of the kind of God that you are. Lord, speak through me. And Lord, I pray that I will decrease and that you will increase. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in high school, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. And my idol in life was Pelé who just died last week. Well, obviously, I didn't make it. Uh, but on a Friday afternoon, I invited my cousin to come over to my house so we could practice soccer. My cousin was a weird individual. He was the only person, the only, in the whole country who did not like soccer. Something horribly wrong with him. So we played for 20 minutes, and then he said, I don't like this. I'm done. Well, I felt an obligation toward him. I brought him to my house. So I asked him what he wanted to do. Well, he said, we are new to the city of Baghdad. Many of my cousins and uncles moved with my dad when he moved his businesses. So he said, we are new to the city. Let's go and explore it. So we started walking on the streets of Baghdad. And by divine providence, we came to the Seventh-day Adventist church. It was right in front of us. Now, in Iraq, they cannot do any form of evangelism. No personal evangelism, no public evangelism. But the pastor of this church was creative. So he decided 
to show a movie about the life of Christ. And he had an advertisement this big posted to the gate of the church. If it was any bigger than this, he would have been arrested and put in jail. But he was praying that somebody will see this ad and will go in and watch the movie. My cousin saw this ad, and he looked at me and he said, we don't have anything to do. Let's go in and watch the movie. Maybe we will learn something in you. And we went in and we sat on this side of the church. And for the first time in my life, I saw Jesus on the screen. I saw his teaching, his miracles, and I was amazed. And immediately fell in love with him. I really believe you cannot see Jesus without falling in love with him. It's impossible. And then I saw his death. He died for me. I felt it at that moment. And then I saw the power of his resurrection. And I started to cry. I, I just felt like his love came straight from the screen to my heart. I was really moved. I was so moved. At the end of the movie, I went to the pastor and I asked him if I could learn more about Jesus. Later on, I learned that this man was the pastor of this church I showed you the slides of. He was the pastor there for more than 20 years. But I was the first Bible study he ever had from outside of the church. Imagine 20 years of discouragement. I made his career for him. He would never forget me. We started meeting on Tuesdays about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I loved every minute of it. I didn't know anything, really. So he started to teach me about the Old Testament, the New Testament, and all of the major characters of the Bible and about Christ. We did this for several months. And one day, I went to the church to learn more about Jesus. But we didn't have a Bible study. And this is the answer to the first question. He looked at me and he said, you have been coming here for several months. It's time for you to make a decision for Christ. That was very hard for me because I grew up in a culture where if you change your faith, they ostracize you, they shun you, they persecute you, and they might even kill you. Well, I didn't want any of that stuff to happen to me. So I decided to quit the Bible study. But praise God, he never gave up on me. Every day I felt the nudging of the Holy Spirit. And finally, I couldn't take it anymore. So I decided to go back again 
for another Bible study. Well, this time, we had a Bible study on the Ten Commandments. Well, I didn't have any problem with the Ten Commandments, except for one. Guess which one? The Sabbath one. Ironically, I grew up speaking Arabic, and in Arabic, we don't have names for the days of the week. So Sunday is called the first day, Monday the second day. The only one that has a name is the seventh one, and we call it Sabbath, which means Sabbath. And everybody knows it's a day of rest and worship. And the Bible study was very simple. He said God kept it. Jesus kept it. The disciples kept it. We're going to keep it in heaven. Why don't we keep it now? The problem for me was that in Iraq, the day off is Friday. And everybody is forced to go to work and to school on the Sabbath. I said to myself, I would never have any future. I would never be able to finish my schooling, would never be able to find a job. So I was very distraught. And then I said to myself, I need a second opinion. So I decided to go and visit with a Greek Orthodox pastor. After I explained to him my dilemma, he lifted up the Bible like this, and he said, if you go by the Bible, you need to keep the seventh-day Sabbath holy. I wanted to strangle this man. I said, this is not what I want to hear from you. Incidentally, some pockets of the Orthodox Church continue to keep the Sabbath for centuries. Uh, the Ethiopic Orthodox Church changed the day of worship only about 150, 160 years ago. So, a couple of weeks later, I went and visited with a Catholic priest. He said, we changed the day. Well, I wanted a biblical answer. So, a week later, I went and visited with the Presbyterian pastor. They were, at that time, the largest Protestant denomination in the country. And be known to me, the Adventist pastor befriended the Presbyterian pastor. And for Christmas, he gave him a gift. It was a book called The Great Controversy. Uh, he read the book. So when I met with him, he said, I have been struggling with this issue myself. And I have come to the conclusion that we really need to keep the seven-day Sabbath only. I said, I did not come here to listen to this. Could tell me something different. During the time when I was attending the church in Baghdad, I witnessed the baptism of the Presbyterian pastor. Uh, he was kicked out of his church. He received some persecution. He ended up being in Sweden. 
but I also, praise the Lord, witnessed the baptism of an Orthodox bishop. A bishop is like a conference president over a bunch of places. But I said to myself, what difference does it make? Just pick a day and worship God on it. But the Holy Spirit reminded me that we are in the mess we are in today because two people said, what difference does it make if you eat out of this tree or that tree? They all are trees. It's not about the tree. It's not even about the day. It's about our love and allegiance and loyalty to Jesus. Well, I graduated from high school at that time. And uh, Iraq had a system. You graduate from high school with high grades, you are eligible to take another exam. They make it very hard. But if you pass this exam in the 90 percentile, you get all of your education for free. But there was a catch to it. If you score 70 or below, you go to the army. Well, nobody wants to go to the army in a country like this. But I decided I will take my chances. I will go and take this exam. And I scored high enough to go to the School of Engineering for free for four years. I wanted to be an engineer from the day I was born. Not because I have any passion for engineering. They just make more money than anybody else in that country. And I really wanted to make more money than anybody else. But it was not a good thing for me. Because for a whole year, I did not feel a need for God. Because I felt like I have arrived. I didn't go to church. I didn't read the Bible. But I did pray when I had a test. Well, fast forward with me to the end of the school year. At the university in Baghdad, there was a tradition. All of the exams come on one day. You start at 9 in the morning and you go to 6 in the evening and you are done in one day. Guess which day it was? The Sabbath day. Well, the Sunday before that, something very unusual happened. My mom was a casual Christian. But one thing was very clear about my mom. She was very consistent about her church attendance. My mom went to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter, no more, no less. But that Sunday, there was a big celebration at the Orthodox Church that she belonged to. And she wanted to go. And as you know, it's really hard to go to church when you are not in the habit to go every week. So she came to me, and she begged me to go to church with her. And I came up with every excuse I could come up with. But then I failed. And I don't know whether it was to please her or get her off my back, I went to church with her. The place was 
packed because of the celebration. I mean, just jam-packed. And they went through one hour of ritual. It's very similar to what Catholics do. And then the pastor came to preach. And he looked at the crowd. And he said, my heart is troubled. He said, something happened to me last night that never have happened to me before. He said, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and gave me a new message to give to you. And this new message is about martyrdom, which is dying for Jesus. He said, I don't know why, but I have to do what God asked me to do. Now, for someone like me who have not been to church for a whole year, that was the last topic I wanted to hear anything about. I mean, you go to church to feel good, to hear about hope and faith, not about death. But that sermon that day changed my life forever. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 19. It's a question, a question all of you have asked one way or another. Matthew 19, 27 to 29. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? He is expecting maybe a reward. He's saying, what will be the consequences? What will be the reward of following you? What will happen to us? What's the cost of discipleship? Listen to the answer that Jesus gave him. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But this is really the verse that changed my life. And everyone who has left houses, sometimes if you are going to follow Jesus, you have to leave your house behind you. But it gets even more deeper than that. Sometimes you have to leave your brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, husband, children, lands, bank accounts, businesses for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you have to leave the whole world behind you. And this is how the sermon went. He said, Jesus loved us so much, he became one of us and went all the way to the cross and died for us. Shouldn't we, out of love for him, do the same? He said, the disciples, according to this verse, had to leave everything, moms and dads, and 
you have to remember this was written in a culture you only have identity in your family. But they had to leave everything to follow Jesus. Some of them died. Some of them lived in catacombs. They are our example, shouldn't we do the same? And somehow, as the pastor was speaking, the Holy Spirit got hold of my heart. And I felt God's presence in such a way I have never felt it before. And I started to cry. I really felt the love of God to the depth of my being. I felt that he was all around me, inside of me. I looked up and I almost saw heaven opened up and I saw Jesus sitting on the throne, loving me. To borrow the words of John Wesley, my heart was strangely warmed with the grace of God. And I determined at that moment that I would follow Jesus no matter what. When the worship service was over, I said to my mom, you visit with your friends and I will see you at home later on. And I started roaming on the streets of Baghdad, filled with fear of what will happen to me. I will lose my education, I will never find a job, I will receive persecution, I might die. Five hours later, I ended up being at the home of the Seventh-day Adventist pastor. I told him about the sermon I heard in the Orthodox Church. I told him about my desire to follow Jesus, my commitment to follow him. But I told him I am filled with fear. He said, let me tell you a story. And then he told me the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you know that story? That happened just 65 miles from my home in Baghdad. You know the story. King Nebuchadnezzar built a statue. He, he said to his subjects, when you hear the music, you bow down and worship me. And everybody did, except for three people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood out. Everybody could see them. Because everybody was down, and they were up. So the king said, bring them to me. And he said to them, look, I am a nice guy. I am a magnanimous king. I'll give you a second chance. When you hear the music, you bow down and worship me. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you into the furnace of fire. And no one, no one can save you from my hands. They said, okay. We know our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we will still worship him. The king got mad and threw them into the furnace of fire. Here is the insight that the pastor shared with me. Insights I would never forget. He said, those three friends prayed that God will save them from the fire. But God, in his infinite wisdom, decided to save them 
in the fire. Think about it. God sometimes saves you from the fire, but sometimes God saves you in the fire. He said, because God decided to save them in the fire, they had the greatest worship experience of their lives. It was in the fire Jesus showed up. They walked with him and they worshipped him in the sight of all of the people who were watching. And then because God decided to save them in the fire, they experienced the power of God. Did you know that the people who threw them into the fire, that's what the scripture says, got evaporated from the intensity of the heat. Nothing happened to them. Not even the smell of smoke was on their clothes. And because God decided to save them in the fire, they became an inspiration to all of us. I don't know how many times this story has been told, millions, to encourage the faith of the faithful. And then the pastor looked at me, and he said, your problem is you focus too much on your problems than, rather than on the greatness of our God. He said, God will take care of you. Friends, how many times we focus just on ourselves, the difficulties we face, rather than the, on the greatness of our God. And then he said, God spoke to you today in a very powerful way. You need to respond. And I said, I want to. Well, he said, pray after me and give your heart to Jesus. And I did. And then he said, well, it's time for you to get baptized. I said, I want to. Well, he said, let's do it next Sabbath. And as I was leaving his house, he said, look, I am going to get the whole church to pray for you so God will save you from the fire, but be prepared to go into the fire. The following Sabbath came. Baptism, 11.30. Exams will start at 9 o'clock. And I heard the voice at 5 o'clock in the morning telling me, you have broken thousands of Sabbaths before. One more is not going to make much difference. And then I heard the voice of God saying, it's not about the Sabbath, it's about me. How much you trust in me? And then I heard the other voice saying, you do not want to lose a whole year just because of your hours. And then I heard the voice of God saying, it's not about a year, it's about eternity. What we deal with has eternal values and consequences. And then I heard the other voice saying, just go do it, God will understand. And then I heard the voice of God saying, just trust in me. That's one of the hardest things we do. I struggled all the way from five to 11. And finally, God gave me the victory. And I decided to follow him. So I got out of bed and put some clothes on and 
ran to the church. And by the time I arrived, somehow they have finished the worship service, but most of the people were out in the foyer, so they brought them in, and we had the baptism. I lost the year, but I gained Jesus. And that's really what's important in life. I lost the second year for the same reason. I pleaded with my professors to allow me to take the exam on a different day, but they wouldn't do it. And because I lost two years, the government felt like I was too dumb to spend any more money on, so they decided to kick me out of the university. When my dad saw all of this happening to me, he was enraged. So he brought a hundred people from my family into our living room in Baghdad. Large room, he used it for entertaining clients, stuff like that. And I was just standing in the middle, surrounded by a hundred people who would never have come if I was criminal or in drugs, but they came to talk me out of being faithful to God. And they talked and talked, and when my dad uh, felt like I was not going to change my mind, he took off his shoes and threw them on me, which in the Middle East represent an afflicting shame on that individual. Uh, I don't know if you remember, some of you are too young to remember, but when President Bush went to Iraq a few years ago, they threw the shoe on him, same idea. So that gave permission to one of my brothers and one of my cousins who lifted me up by my shoulders and the rest started beating on me. I became like a cancer to the family and they needed to cleanse the family from that cancer. They kept doing this till I started bleeding and finally I became unconscious and they threw me out on the street. It was like the final act of cleansing ceremony. But God had a purpose for my life. He uh, spared my life. A few hours later, I came back to consciousness. I was lying on the ground on the street, and I looked up into heaven and I said, Lord, since I decided to follow you, I lost everything my school, my family, almost my life. He said, maybe, but now you got me. And if you have Jesus, that's all what you need. And then I said, Lord, I feel the whole world is against me. He said, maybe, but I am for you. And Paul said, if Jesus is for us, it doesn't matter who is against us. Well, at the church in Baghdad, at that time, there were 180 people. But in that mix, there was a young couple, a newlywed, who took an interest in me. Every time I went to church, they would come and talk to me, pray with me, take me over to their home for lunch. They were wonderful people. So I decided to go to their home. And they took me in, and I stayed with them for several months. Uh, they taught me how to read the Bible and how to pray and how to worship God. They really 
did a wonderful job in mentoring me and discipling me. One of the things we did every night was we read promises from the scripture. And when we kept repeating it every night, no matter what we read, we always went back again to reading Romans 8, 28. I'm sure all of you know this. And we know, actually the Greek does not say we know. The Greek says we are convinced beyond any shadow of doubt. It's much stronger that how many things? But can we say it with more enthusiasm, more excitement? How many things? All things. things work together for good to those who love God. All things will work for good for you. Remember that, even when bad things happen to you. Well, this family said to me, you don't have any future in Iraq. You need to go to Middle East College. That's a small Adventist college in Beirut, Lebanon. I applied to go, but I couldn't go because it was not accredited by the country of Iraq. It was a terrible letdown. It was a lot of disappointment. And then the war between the Arab country and and uh, the Arab countries and Iraq started. And Iraq, being part of the Arab countries, started to draft people to send them to fight against Israel. And one day I got the letter from the army saying, I need to report for duty in six weeks. It was the most horrible day in my life. My father at that time knew I was alive and living with this family. So he also wrote me a letter saying, if you renounce your faith, I will accept you back home, and I will find a way for you to leave the country and go to Europe and study and avoid the army. I was very, very tempted to take my dad up on his offer. But praise the Lord for the church, for the community of faithful. They prayed for me. They encouraged me to stay faithful to God. Did you know that the Apostle Paul 65 times tells us to love one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another? That's what the church is all about. It's not about coming here only for a couple hours on Sabbath. That's very, very important, but it's much deeper than that. It's about a community of believers who honor Christ but love deeply one another. My neighbor, who was my best friend, got a letter similar to the one I got. And uh, because he was a little bit older than me, he went to the army right away. And in less than one week, the news came back he was killed. So they had a memorial service for him. My mom went to that service. She was emotionally moved. She came home and she said to my dad, I don't care whatever my son is. I just want to see him and hug him. Took some convincing. Finally, my dad accepted me back home. First night I was back home. I was asleep in my bedroom. 10.30 at night, the brother and the cousin who lifted me up by my shoulders came to me woke me up and said, we need to go for a walk. 
I said, I don't want to go anywhere. They yanked me out of bed, held on to my arm so I would not run away from them, and took me to a park about three, four miles from where we lived. By the time we got to the park, it was pitch dark. No people, no light. We got to the middle of the park and they stopped. So I said, this is the end. So I started to pray. Five minutes, nothing happened. Ten minutes, nothing. Finally, my cousin broke the silence. He said, look, you are either crazy to go through what you went through, or you have something we would like to have. So that gave me the opportunity of sharing my faith with my brother and with my cousin. We were there till six in the morning. At six in the morning, my brother gave his heart to Jesus. My brother was the ultimate secular who worshiped money, but today he worshiped Jesus. He was so excited about finding this a new faith, this a new understanding, finding Jesus in, in his life. He went home and led his family to Christ, and then later on led my other brother and his family to Christ. And my cousin, later on, became the pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Baghdad, Iraq. It's, it is amazing how God works and how true it is that all things work for good for those who love him. And because of the ministry of my brother and my cousin, many members of my family came to know Jesus. Um, pray for them. Pray for that little church. There's a lot of challenges. I have been praying for my two brothers to come here. And about four years ago, my brother came to this country. And my cousin wanted to stay there, but he could not because there was a hit on all of the pastors in the country. So he came to Canada and started uh, this just last year and started uh, an internet Arabic speaking church that has four or five hundred people who go to it every week uh, between Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Pray for that little church. I still have to tell you how I'm alive today, but listen to this story. We are focusing on a prayer. The couple I stayed with, they said, for 40 years, the church in Iraq have been trying to get Middle East College to be accredited, and they failed. They tried bribery, connection, influence. Nothing worked. So somebody said, why don't we try prayer? So 50 people went into the basement of the Adventist church on a Friday afternoon, and they stayed there till Sunday afternoon. Influenced by Jonah, three days and three nights. 
And I cannot explain this. Nobody can explain this to you. On a Tuesday of that same week, they got the letter from the government that Middle East College was accredited. Forty years of a human effort failed. But when God's people prayed, God did it. My advice to you, don't even wait for 40 seconds. Why delay? Take your need to God and he will take care of you. So, I was able to go to Middle East College, but shortly after I arrived, the Civil War started there. I, I have nothing to do with it. It was a coincidence that started when I arrived. I, believe me, I have nothing to do with it. And somebody came to me and said, you still want to be an engineer? I said, yes. He said, go to Walla Walla College. And my first reaction was, who in his right mind will go to Walla Walla College? Do we have anybody here from Walla Walla? Oh, yeah, several people attended Walla Walla or went over there. Because in Arabic, Walla Walla sounds like the place of the double curse. They told me it has nothing to do with any curses. A native name and actually means the place of many waters. My church prayed for me for 13 months. They fasted. Christians in the Middle East fast a lot more than we fast here in this country. Fasted on my behalf, many of them, once a week. And finally, I got the visa. I came to Walla Walla. I took engineering, and then I worked as an engineer for three months, and I felt a call to be a pastor. Now, if you are an engineer, we need you to be an engineer. If you are a physician, we need you to be a physician or a nurse, because that's the best way to reach people of that profession. But for me, I felt the need to become a pastor. So I went back again to Walla Walla, and I pastored after that for 20 years, and then I came to teach at the seminary. But as you know, about 17, 18 years ago, the war between Iraq and the United States started. I have a female cousin who came to this country to do advanced medical training, and she never went back again to Iraq. But about 14 years ago, she decided to go to Iraq to see how our family are doing. It was safe at that time, not safe today. When she came back, I went to see her. She said, um, you will never believe what I am going to tell you. She said, your mom is praising the Lord for your faithfulness every day. I said, my mom kicked me out of home. She said, your mom now goes to the Adventist church. She's praising the Lord for the Sabbath. I said, you're not making any sense. She said, your mom is studying the Bible with your cousin. She wants to be an Adventist. I said, why? She said, because shortly after you left, the war between Iraq and Iran started. One million people of my age group died. And then there was a war between Iraq and Kuwait and three wars with the United States. Another million people died. But you are alive. I didn't know. If 
For 30 years, I am alive today because I decided to follow Jesus. And praise the Lord, shortly after my cousin came back home, my mom got baptized. And she died a few months after that. She was diabetic and there were no adequate medication because of the war. I wish I was there to witness her baptism. But I'm looking forward to seeing her in heaven. We have a great God who makes all things to work for good for us. I'm just going to share with you a couple lessons from this story. The first one is always be faithful to Jesus. Always, no matter what. I struggle with the Sabbath, but a lot of you struggle with all kinds of different issues. Determine in your heart that no matter what, you will always be faithful to Jesus. And rather than focusing on your problems, focus on the greatness of our God. God is bigger than your problems, my friend. Did you know that there are seven places in the Bible that says God can do the impossible? The first one, God one day came to a woman who was 91 years old. I don't know if we have anyone who is 91 here. She was barren all her life, and her husband was 99. And he, he said to her, I'm going to give you a child. You know what she did? She laughed because she thought it was a joke. I mean, after all, she was a candidate for the nursing home, not the maternity ward. But God gave her the child anyway. One day he came to a little boy and he said, you, you see that giant? If you trust in me, you could defeat him. And he did. And today he comes to you and to me and he says, if you trust in me, you could move mountains. Whatever mountain you are struggling with, God is bigger than that. And then pray like your life depends on it. I saw the power of prayer. Forty years, the church trying to do everything. They can't. They couldn't. They prayed and God did it. And my church prayed for me for 13 months. And I was able to come here. When I was at Middle East College, I went to one of the professors and I said, I need to go to the United States. He said, don't even think about it. It will never happen. It's impossible. I said, why? He said, well, you don't know the language and you don't have money and these are the minor problems. I said, what is the major problem? He said, the United States is not giving visas to anybody from Iraq. And then he did this. I will never forget this. He said, it's easier for Moses to take the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land than for you to go from Iraq to the United States. What a man of encouragement he was. <laughs> Forgetting about the point of the story, it wasn't Moses who did it, it was God who did it. And then be patient with God. I'm telling you a story that is more than 40 years in the making. We want things to happen instantaneously. That's not the way God works. One day soon, very soon, there will be a table going from here to eternity. 
You will be there, you will be there, I will be there, and Jesus will be there. He will be at the head of the table. And he will tell you personally how he made all things to work for good for you. I hardly could wait for that. And then, always be attentive to hear the voice of God. I heard the voice of God through the voice of the Greek Orthodox pastor. And I said yes to the Lord. God is speaking to you today. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him. We're going to be singing the song, I Surrender All. And as we are singing, maybe you would like to come to the front. Maybe you would like to kneel down. Maybe you would like to just lift up your hands, but in one way or another, tell Jesus, I surrender everything to you. So let's all stand up, and as God is moving on your heart, just respond to him. Come to the friend and tell him you love him more than anything else, more than life. People always ask me, is it really worth it to follow Jesus? I want to tell you, yes, indeed. People from all over the world, 
from all throughout the ages add their testimony to mine and say yes indeed it is worth it to go through hardship difficulty temptations trials to follow Jesus he's a wonderful Lord and a wonderful Savior um, there's still time for you to come to the front it's really between you and, and, and him between you and God just tell him he means the world to you so as we are singing just uh, come to the front or kneel down just in one way or another tell him he's everything to you Father in heaven, we surrender everything to you. We surrender our ambitions, our lives, our fears. And help us, rather than to look at our problems, to look at you. To look at your power, to look at your salvation. Lord, we claim the promise that he that is in us is infinitely greater than he that is in the world. And Lord, in a congregation like this, maybe there's somebody who is discouraged. I just pray that you will encourage them, you will give them hope. Maybe some have lost their first love. I pray that you will restore it for them. Maybe some are drifting away, bring them back. 
Maybe some are not feeling well, and I pray for healing, emotional, physical, spiritual. And Lord, maybe whether it is online or in person here, people who have not known you or are struggling to know you, I just pray that you will show yourself to them and they will see how wonderful you are. Lord, we have many, many needs, but our greatest need is to have more of you. So give us more of Jesus and more of his presence. In his name we pray, amen. I invite you to stay for the anointing if you need that, and there will be lunch provided. And please join us for a prayer time at 2 o'clock. And at uh, 4.30, I'm going to share with you the story of the prodigal son from a Middle Eastern perspective. Actually, a man by the name of Kenneth Bailey spent 50 years studying this parable. And I'm going to share some insights. And you will hear it for the first time as if you never have heard it before. And not only that, but it will thrill your heart and will bring you closer to God. So you have to be here for the last presentation.